Hi, this is Danny Klein-Monisette, and this is the Afterbirth Podcast, featuring real stories about raising kids that you're not going to read in a parenting magazine. Here's an untitled story by actress Lucinda Jenny, a classic from 2006. It was performed at the M-Bar in Hollywood, California. Okay, without any further ado, please help me welcome Lucinda Jenny. Hi. I was in Nevada, January 98, having driven up there with Walter, my blonde spaniel mix rescue dog, to do a movie, Desert Blue, about an oversized ice cream cone. It was a monument, actually, built in the middle of the desert. And the town was Tonopah, that's central Nevada, south of Lovelock and where you would go to approximate landing on the moon, but very wet. And we were all living in the Sundowner Motel, which was constructed out of cinder block and surrounded by clumps of gray ice and snow. Now, it was located upwind on the edge of what a fellow actor would inform me was a nuclear test site. (laughs) But really, it did not bother me in the slightest. You know, anything to leave L.A., to, for me, escape the psychological slash torture slash abandonment slash hot sex with my goddamned blue-eyed sinewy boyfriend who was winding his way up to dumping me yet again. Oh, well, really. After 10 years and $60,000 of fertility treatments, not to mention a divorce, I mean, it really did feel like home to me. My life, my life had been daily injections, putrid Chinese herbal teas, oozing endometrial tissues, navel orange size tumors, ovarian cysts, one unnecessary appendectomy, Valium and vodka breakfast shakes, a Mexican drug run for the Pergonol fix at seven bucks a vial. And if any of you know anything about that, that's a killer deal. <laughs> so there have also been two histiosalpingograms, one myomectomy, which left a new and even uglier scar over the false appendectomy scar. And then, of course, there was the sperm bank. That experience. List of eligible donors. Oh, God. My beloved 0303. (laughs) And then, of course, his rival, 0004. (laughs) He was the one with the curly-haired DNA. Blue line after blue line, and then, of course, all the ensuing sobbing phone calls to my girlfriends, informing them, all of them, of my latest tragedy. And then there was, of course, that one pink line, and then the D&C that followed 15 weeks later. Me, you know, once again, convulsing on the bathroom floor. Hard, cold, sticky, dirty, smelly, whatever place. There are no unbearably soft beds for that kind of grief. So, you know, after all of that, I, I really just feel I could, I just simply need to put it this way. I had given up the dream of a white picket fence. And I was single. I was in my 40s. I'm a great gal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all of that. But... <laughs> Frankly, I was defeated, and I was just going to go for available fucking. (laughs) You know, 
forgive me. Here I was, I'm in Nevada, I'm whistling around, I'm unpacking my stuff. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be in my motel room. This is a room that my pal Chase would probably have suggested might make a fine porno set. I mean, I, really, it doesn't matter to me, because I'm a Calvinist from Connecticut, and for your edification, our cultural traditions enforces limited atonement, total depravity, and irresistibility of grace. Think on that. Now, that is the Webster's Seventh Collegiate Dictionary. I got to tell you, I did not reflect the decor of my surroundings. There was a knock on my door, and I was, you know, gleefully overeager for company, so I ran down my snarling dog and just flung it open. An 18-year-old producer. Tears in her eyes didn't matter. I was, I was really thrilled to see her. I was lonely, you know, I was really lonely all the time. So I'm seeing flop sweat on her face. I'm seeing panic in her big brown eyes. And Walter is barking. He's, he's really desperate to bite her. <laughs> and I'm hearing her say, Mr. Hurd, as in John Hurd, says that you, Lucinda, hate him. <laughs> and that you will not work with him. And he is threatening to leave the movie, having thought that our director was Morgan Freeman, the black actor, when, in fact, it is Morgan J. Friedman, the 12-year-old Jewish wunderkind. <laughs> so, I'll tell you, you know, in all confidence, John Hurd was a very short relationship. Okay, I mean, he was more like a pickup. And I picked him up in Beverly Hills at a coffee shop. It was, you know, a few years in the past. But for me, he, it, whatever, was an intensely meaningful thing without the sex. Well, wait a minute, no. Actually, he did kiss me. He kissed me in the feminine hygiene aisle at the Rite Aid across from the coffee shop on Camden, Little Santa Monica, where I had just picked him up, I'd say about 20 minutes before. And also, he asked me to go to the Caribbean with him. Not that I would ever do that. I mean, you know, not without a plan or, or a ring. But I don't really know how I would end up at a Rite Aid, you know, within moments of meeting someone. And frankly, my explanation pretty much sums up the excuses that I do have for wasting all of my childbearing years. <laughs> I just seem to float over there on a magic carpet ride of not thinking and sexual dysfunction. <laughs> John, of course, stayed on the film, calling in scientists to test for radioactivity. And we were the only ones that were actually in the same age bracket. I was just simply surrounded by young people, you know, fertile, delicious, almost 20 actresses. <laughs> Me, I'm barren, I'm badly dressed, I'm already old, and apparently I am also an invisible person. I'm playing a widow, naturally. <sighs> I'm a UFO aficionado. My character's dead husband was the one who erected the giant ice cream cone. And my son is a teenage Brandon Sexton III who is in love with Kate Hudson. Now, Kate allows me to drive her to and from the set. And I do tag along with her while we shop for the non-foods that are available at the Tanapa Safe Fairwayer or whatever it's called. And I do, I do, I do, I do, I do tag along. Just like a sister, oh, fuck it, more like a mother. <laughs> and, you know, I am grateful I am grateful that she even lets me be near her. I just want to suck up her cheerfulness. I swear to God, she's easygoing. She's totally gracious. Her self-confidence, I want to suck it up. 
<laughs> Christina Ricci, she's in the movie too. She's blowing up things. That's a subplot. <laughs> and Peter Sarsgaard, and he's playing a townsperson. He's a friend of the hero, and he does actually spend a little bit of time with me. <laughs> I, I'm, I, it's thrilling, you know. He's always chatting me up between the takes, but frankly, I think he's really too polite. He's very polite with me. I feel even a generation further removed from him, sort of like a grandmother figure. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, when I picture myself, aren't I really, aren't I a contemporary of theirs? I mean, aren't I a peer? The answer, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, I am sequestered in my hovel of a room every night. My butt on the carpet, sitting with my back against the door. I'm alone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got my dog in my lap. But I am excluded from the hallway parties. I'm straining to hear the snippets of drunken sexual chatter. And I'm cracking the door open just to get a glimpse, a little tiny glimpse of the actresses in their underpants out in the hall going in and out of KCA's room or the first AD's room. Who is handsome? I will give you that. But he is not inclined to give much consideration to a certain young starlet's psychological well-being. No way. I am feeling very protective of her. And I am feeling, frankly, like a bit of a crazed Cassandra with my wild hair and my wild eyes. And I am just close to crawling out of my dark, childless pit, dragging my ever-pissing little dog after me and grabbing her by her naked ankle and pleading with her. I'm just wanting to plead with her. Don't do it. Don't do it. Please, dear God, don't waste this precious time of your life. Please, dear God, just have children. Just think about it. Plan for it. Please, say no to these creepy guys. I beg you, I swear to God, please. I'm just fat with regrets. And all the Twinkies and all the grapes and all the cheese whiz and the crackers that I've just been stuffing into my mouth these past few days, I feel them just like flying off of me like shrapnel. Please, my God, stop. That's my incantation to her. Before it's too late, you've got to stop or you're going to end up just like me. I swear to God. It's so painful. What can I say? It's so painful. I, I don't think I can say anymore. Anyway, you've got to hang in with me because it does get better. I, I promise you, well, naturally, it would have to. <laughs> I get an idea. I, even at my age, could go down to John's room. I could. I really could. I mean, it might be weird. I'm thinking, yeah, but I... I think I'll be welcomed. Yes, I do, in some fashion or other. So I prepare. You know, I'm kind of a big-ass girl a little bit. So I get out my mascara, because I want to bring the focus up. And I'm standing in front of the mirror, and the room just starts... Spinning. Well, I can only crawl into my own bed instead, and I wrap my arms around my dog, Walter, and the both of us were both under the cover. 
I think I may be getting some sort of Ethiopian spider flu, something like that. I want to vomit, and then I still want to continue snacking on my celery and hostess cupcakes. <laughs> I mean, all at the same time. And the sheets and the blankets and the pillows and the carpets and the towels, they all just seem to smell too much. My fingers, weird, feel alien. My thighs are itching. The next morning, I'm at the medical clinic on West Miners Road, and I'm complaining. They take my temperature, my blood, they send me on my way with nothing. No antibiotics, nothing. Well, I'm back that evening, you bet, with more complaints. And now I'm telling you that the inside of my nose is swollen and it's hot. Now there is an overly made up and frankly unattractive woman behind the glass partition and her behavior is, I, I think, and I think anyone would agree with me, rude. She hands me papers to sign, she returns my union cards, and she mouths through the glass. <sighs> what? What are, you, what are you saying? What are you saying? She's lifting it up, the glass partition. Sweetie, sweetie, you feel bad because you are pregnant. Well, I very calmly said what simply needed to be said. Well, that's not possible. <laughs> I informed her that my fallopian tubes are adhered to my esophagus. <laughs> Dr. Mars down at Santa Monica Fertility Clinic, he has proclaimed me hopeless, and he is a genius. And he said to me that he doesn't want to steal, 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 that's his word from me anymore. But he did say, as he was ushering me out of his office, that miracles are possible. <laughs> I quote that. Oh my, okay, oh my God. Oh my God, well, I, I, I think I tried to kiss this woman with her blue eyeshadow right through the window. My lips are on the glass partition. There's a man, he appears out of nowhere, and he's leading me out into the parking lot. And I grabbed his plaid arm. I'm circling him, I think. I'm climbing on him, I think. Just like a traffic accident dog. I try to run back to my new best friend, the formerly rude woman now who has this beautiful face and this wonderful glass partition. But he restrains me, and I'm in his arms. And I ask him, oh my God, oh my God, how did this happen? How did this happen? I mean, I've stopped the sperm domers. The doctors, they cut me off from all in vitro. They won't let me do it anymore. It's been a full two years. There have been no men since, none. Well, okay, maybe, except for that guy, you know, the one who's dumping me, and that last time. Okay, wait. I do remember that there was a garter belt involved, and I think there were stilettos in the mix. It was a mercy fuck. I was doing him a favor. My plaid man, my, 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 my very, very sweet escort. I remember that he gently lowered me into the driver's seat of my car and then he just stood next to me while I was in shock. And, and then he departed and I, I, I turned on the windshield wipers because, frankly, I, I was just simply crying. And even though... <laughs> the skies were just perfectly clear. I, I couldn't see a damn thing through my tears. But second by second by second passed, and I realized my new life, my new 
life began to just stretch out before me. And I think back now, and I pretty much know that those moments that happened right then were about the purest and happiest moments that I've ever had in my whole life. For more information about Afterbirth, the live show, the book, or the podcast, please visit www.afterbirthstories.com. Thanks. <laughs>